Hello and welcome to the 17th of October edition of Worcester Talking News, brought to you by Worcester News and Equipment for the Blind and with kind permission of the Worcester News. I'm Pippa Curtis and the team for this week's edition comprises John Plush as recording engineer, copying and admin we're not sure but hopefully it will still go out to you, it might even be us, you never know. And our readers today are Catherine and Jane. Hello. Hello. I'd like to extend a warm welcome to any new listeners and hope you enjoy our recording today. As always, we'll include a list of useful telephone numbers, what's on, the headline stories, followed by the general news stories, a little bit of sport, thought for the week, sunrise, sunset times and the birthdays. If we don't have a record of your birthday and you'd like to be included, please just get in touch and we can add it to the birthday file. If you have any comments or problems, our telephone number is 01905 767 766. And please be prepared for an answer phone to take your call. Alternatively, put a note in your wallet. Listeners are kindly reminded to return memory sticks promptly to facilitate a smooth operation and use of resources. As from now, you will only receive two weeks of recordings. And if neither of these are returned, no further recordings will be sent. If you're unwell or have a problem, just ring or leave a message. All our recordings are now available as podcasts via the Worcester Talking News website. And of course, don't forget we have an extensive library of all kinds of reading material from thrillers to romance. And you can get a list of it on tape on... I can't remember all the other ways you can get it. But basically, put a note in your wallet and we can send you... Uh, A hard copy with large print or on tape. That's the way to get the list of the library books we have here. The service is free to users, but if you'd like to make a donation, it can be sent to Colin Chance House, Wilds Lane, Worcester, WR5, 1DA. With regard to the obituaries, you will now find they come at the end of the recording after the music. So let's start this week with the telephone numbers, which Jane is going to read for us. Police, non-emergency, 101. Crime Stoppers, 0800-555-111. Worcester Hub for Council Matters, 01905-765-765. Worcester Live, which has details of what's on at the Swan Theatre, Huntingdon Hall and Henry Sandon Hall, 01905 Six one one four two seven. Malvern Theatres, O one six eight four eight nine two two seven seven. Samaritans is now a free n- phone number, one one six one two three. Here at Colin Chance House, O one nine o five seven six seven seven six six. Thank you. And now I've got a brief summary of some of the things that are on over the next couple of weeks. And starting with the West End smash hit musical uh, about Henry VIII's wives, called appropriately Six. This is showing at the Malvern Theatres from Tuesday the 29th of October to Sunday, November the 3rd. 
Apparently, the show's been nominated for five 2019 Olivier Awards, including Best New Musical. And it continues to sell out at every performance in London. So it's clearly one not to miss if it's your sort of music. Tickets and info, call the box office on 01684 892 something a bit different, you can head to the Cube in Malvern on Saturday the 26th of October where the Scottish band, the Pete Bog Fairies, and uh, no, I'm not making that up, they take to the stage to perform their unique high-octane Gaelic-themed music. I quote, Hailing from the Isle of Skye, the legendary Scottish trailblazers have created a glorious mix of traditional sounds and dance floor grooves that have been embraced worldwide. I haven't heard of them, but fine. Box office uh, tickets, uh, sorry, for tickets, call the box office, different number from before. This one is 01684 575 Turning to classical music now, the Worcestershire Symphony Orchestra is putting on a space-themed interactive concert aimed for the whole family to enjoy. Extracts from the films E.T. and Star Trek will be played along with more traditional but still space-related music like Holsts the Planets. The concert takes place on Saturday, November the 9th at St Martin's Church, London Road. For tickets, contact a website, Worcestershire Symphony, and that's all lowercase and all one word, worcestershiresymphony.org.uk. Something completely different here. On Wednesday, the 23rd of October, Worcester Racecourse hosts its last event of the season in case you're interested, and the first race is at 12.15, the last race at 3.30pm. Finally, still in Worcester, on Friday the 25th of October in Worcester Cathedral at 7.30pm, you can experience Wagner's opera Das Rheingold, I hope I've said that right, in a unique 150th anniversary production by Tarnhelm Opera. Semi-staged and sung in German with English subtitles. Tickets are £25 to £40 and for more details and to buy tickets, ring 01905 611 427. That's Friday the 25th of October if you're interested. So moving on, we will go straight to the headline stories and Catherine will read you all the main headlines for the week first. Right, so here are the headlines. Friday, October the 11th, ugly aircon units give us headaches. Saturday, October the 12th, golf course campus taken into care. Monday, October the 14th, tragic mum saves six lives. Tuesday, October the 15th, brutal rape of mother. Wednesday, October the 16th, 14,000 new homes plan. Thursday, October the 17th, CCTV shows sisters beating hunchback, and hunchback is in inverted commas. So here's the um, headline story from Friday, October the 11th. Ugly aircon units give us headaches. Furious residents say the noise and glaring reflections from air conditioning units on top of Worcestershire Royal Hospital are causing stress and headaches. A retrospective planning application has been submitted to Worcester City Council for the air conditioning unit on the roof of the Aikenbury East building at the hospital. 
Neighbouring residents have complained that another air conditioning unit on top of the main hospital building <coughs> causes noise issues and they fear the one on Aikenbury East will make the problem even worse when it's switched on. Residents have also complained that the glare from the reflection of the sun on the new unit is blinding and many describe the building as ugly. They've voiced their objections to the retrospective planning application on the City Council's planning website. Grace Terry said, The retrospective application shows the blatant disregard to us as neighbours with regards to the noise generated from the unit and the glare we're subjected to. The unit should be screened to allow us quiet enjoyment of our homes. Christopher Allen, who lives in the Heights, said the appearance is industrial and not in keeping with the residential area and is in clear view of visitors to the site, making it ugly and an eyesore. This light reflection is so bright that we're blinded and have to close curtains or blinds. I have a sound recording taken from my garden at night, which was taken because the noise levels that day were loud and causing a nuisance. Our residents' health is already being affected, causing stress and headaches. Warnden City and County Councillor Andy Roberts said, I cannot believe that plans for a proposal of such an industrial nature would have been accepted if put before the committee in other than a retrospective application. That the development has been done outside planning approvals does not mean that it conforms to an acceptable standard. A Worcestershire Acute Hospital's NHS Trust spokesman said, The Trust is currently carrying out a remodelling of the Aikenbury East building. An additional 81 beds are being created in four modern and fit-for-purpose ward facilities for patients. These works include the provision of new air handling units on the roof, which are essential to serve the wards. Following consultation with the local authority, a planning application was approved for the project and it was agreed that a supplementary application would be submitted to clarify the design and extent of the rooftop plant required to serve the refurbished building. At present, the new rooftop plant is not operational, but we are aware that the ongoing construction works during the day may be causing some noise disturbance for local residents. We would like to assure those affected... We're working closely with our contractors to ensure noise levels are kept to an absolute minimum for the duration of the work. We are confident the completed rooftop plant will not disturb residents and have further agreed to apply anti-glare paint to the, paint, to the plant ductwork in response to concerns about reflected glare. We're hopeful these measures will gain the support of the council, planning committee and residents to ensure the successful opening of the much-needed new beds in the near future. The plans can be viewed via the planning section of the City Council's website. The consultation ends on October the 25th. The application number is 19 forward slash 00520 forward slash FUL to search for the plans on the council website. And now golf course campers taken into care. A group of vulnerable young people who are living on an abandoned golf course are now safe and being looked after, the City Council has said. Residents in Otley Close reported their concerns to Councillor Andy Roberts about the issue at the old Tolodyne Golf Club, with the youths understood to have been living in a shed. 
Councillor Roberts said he was made aware of the impromptu campsite on the club grounds around two weeks ago and he quickly flagged it up to the City Council. There were residents who were concerned about young people making a sort of an impromptu campsite on the golf course and living there, said the councillor, who represents Warden, uh, Warden on the city and county councils. When it got reported to me, the concern was for the safety of the young people going there. He contacted City Council youth manager Anne Nichols, who went out to the site and engaged with them and the police, with local officers understood to have now cleared the site. The City Council spokesman confirmed, a member of our youth team stepped in and took action following a call from a concerned resident. We can confirm that the young people referred to are safe and are being looked after. As the safeguarding of those involved is paramount, we are unable to comment further. The youths were said to be vulnerable but not homeless, though it is unclear how old they are and whether or not they have been in care. It's also unclear how many there were or if they were living there full time. Councillor Roberts went on to say he understands they were gathering in a big old shed on the course grounds, which had been accessed near Otley Close, while mattresses and other living materials were found. He emphasised it was more than just a nuisance issue and is unsure whether anything would have been done if residents had not made him aware. The result, the reason I reported it is when you get these groups of people, there are always going to be vulnerable people in there, which that needs addressing. Even if they're not living there and they're just gathering, there's still a safeguarding aspect. If it were a gathering of young people, and I'm showing my age now, but they were climbing trees and having fun and being nuisances, that's one thing. But if it's young people of different ages who are there from different reasons, we need to be wary. The councillor added that in the past there had been problems with young people congregating and smoking substances on the course grounds, an issue which every now and then surfaces, but he said this was different. West Mercia Peace were unable to comment and the County Council declined to comment. And the headline for Monday, October the 14th, Tragic Mum Saves Six Lives. A mum who died suddenly of a brain aneurysm has saved six people's lives through donating her organs. Kerry Vella, who was 48, collapsed at her home in Callow End on September the 21st and was taken to Coventry Hospital where she was seen by a brain specialist and then put into an induced coma, but died on October the 1st. Since the death of the mobile hairdresser, who worked in Worcester, her organs have been used to save the lives of six people. Her son Dominic, 29, told the Worcester News, My mum gave others a life, that's what she would have wanted. She was a selfless person. She was a carer and looked after her mum for three years, who became blind. She cancelled plans and devoted her life to helping others. She thought she was going to have a life after her mum passed away. She was a very good mother and a loving grandmother. Dominic, who now lives in Australia, said the family don't yet know who benefited from his mum's organs. It's too soon to know about the people she saved, he said, but they will have the opportunity to write a letter to the family. Kerry had three sons and four grandchildren 
and her family has set up a GoFundMe page and are appealing for donations to help with the funeral service. The funeral will be held at St Peter's C of E Church in Poick on October the 25th at 11.30am. Kerry asked for her coffin's exterior to be pink as it was her favourite colour. She will also be carried in a horse and carriage from her home to the church. Dominic added, she wouldn't want the funeral to be gloomy. She was still a young woman and such a positive person. Within seven days of creating the funding page, the family raised over £4,000. To donate, visit www.gofundme.com slash f slash 4upmy, sorry, 4upmyt dash ker dash ry 039s dash goodbye. From spring 2020, organ donation in England will move to an opt-out system. This means that all adults will be considered to have agreed to be an organ donor when they die unless they have recorded a decision not to donate or are in one of the excluded groups. The excluded groups include those under the age of 18, people who lack the mental capacity to understand the new arrangements and take the necessary action, visitors to England and those not living here voluntarily. People who have lived in England for less than 12 months before their death. NHS Organ Donation said, The law is being changed to help save and improve more lives. Every day across the UK, someone dies waiting for a transplant. Right, the next story contains material that may offend and you may wish to skip to the next headline. Brutal Rape of Mother A rapist took Viagra and attacked her mum with such force she compared the unbearable pain to childbirth as she begged him again and again to stop. But Paul Wyatt Davies of Worcester ignored her pleas and when challenged by the victim about what he'd done told her, I wanted it so I took it. He later apologised to her, telling her, I'm truly sorry for what I've done to you. I've messed up big time. The 34-year-old of Smith's Avenue, St John's, had already admitted the rape when he appeared yesterday for sentence, showing no emotion as he was jailed by Judge Robert Dukes, QC. The rape of the mother happened on March the 27th this year, and she gave a video-recorded interview to police just three days later, on March the 30th. The victim, who cannot be identified for legal reasons, said in a statement that she awoke to find the defendant having sex with her without her consent. I asked him to stop. He would not, she said. After the rape, the victim stated she was scared and in a state of shock, estimating the really forceful attack lasted four minutes. An empty packet of Viagra was later found discarded in a kitchen bin. Mr Nelson added she described the pain as unbearable, described it as like childbirth pain. He later apologised to the victim and admitted the rape as soon as he was arrested. Wyatt Davis told police he'd drunk a bottle of wine before the attack. Afterwards, he told them he thought, what have I done? In a victim personal statement, summarised by Mr Nelson, the victim said she had suffered with extreme anxiety and no longer liked leaving the house. She also said she felt worried and paranoid after the attack, referring to herself as feeling desperately unhappy. The physical pain following the rape lasted a week. Richard Hull, defending, said the defendant was supported by his parents who were in the public gallery. 
He said Wyatt Davis had accepted responsibility for his actions and asked if the judge would consider coming down from the five-year starting point, given the peculiarities around the offence. He attends court in full anticipation of a custodial sentence, said Mr Hull. Judge Robert Dukes, QC, said Wyatt Davis had admitted the offence from the outset, but his initial response when confronted with what he'd done had been an aggressive one. However, he said, thereafter your position has been contrite. You've expressed your regret. You have given apologies. I have no hesitation at all in saying you're genuinely remorseful. But he said the rape had been a serious sexual attack and had to be dealt with by way of a custodial sentence. This is the most serious form of sexual attack, the judge said. The range available to the judge within the sentencing guidelines was a custodial sentence of between four and seven years and a starting point of five years in prison. He told the defendant she told him to stop and added, you wouldn't. She was badly hurt and it went on for a long time and she suffered the consequences of that physically for one week and emotionally and psychologically, she still suffers. Wyatt Davis was jailed for a total of three years, half of which he will serve in custody and the other half in the community on licence. A restraining order was made. He must also register as a sex offender and notify the courts of any change in his circumstances, including his address. The victim's surcharge of £170 was imposed. And this is a bit happier, or not, depending on how you think, 14,000 new homes plan. A huge plan to build 14,000 extra homes across the south of Worcestershire in the next two decades has been revealed. The revised draft South Worcestershire Development Plan, known as the SWDP, which sets out a blueprint for where homes, offices and other developments could be built up to 2041, includes a new 5,000-home village next to the soon-to-open Worcestershire Parkway railway station and an extra 1,000 homes in Rushwick. It also includes plans to build 810 more homes across Worcester, including 495 in Diglis, as well as developments on the edge of the city, including 101 homes in Beverley and 40 in Fernal Heath. The document also sets out ambitions to build 730 homes in Droitwich, 880 homes in Malvern, 200 homes in Evesham and 600 homes in Pershaw. On top of that, 900 new homes have been earmarked to be built throughout villages in Witchhaven and 390 throughout villages around Malvern. A new 2,000-home town at Throckmorton Airfield near Pershaw would also be built, as well as a new secondary school and two primary schools, shops and offices and acres of land for employment. The major new village near Worcestershire Parkway would include thousands of homes, a new secondary school and three primary schools, 58 hectares of employment space near to the M5, new shops and offices and would likely include a doctor's surgery, a new police and fire station, a town hall, a leisure centre and a sports facility. The <coughs> expansion plans for Rushwick 
also include a new railway station and 500 space car park and a new primary school. The 14,000 extra homes would be in addition to the 28,370 already assigned to be built in the current SWDP, more than half of which have already been built. Planners across the three South Worcestershire District Councils, Worcestershire Cities Council, Witchhaven District Council and Morven Hills District Council, looked at more than 900 potential sites for development. Worcester City Council will have the first say on the plans next Tuesday, October the 22nd, before councillors in Witchhaven and Morven Hills discuss it throughout the rest of the month. If backed by all three councils, the updated SWDP will still have to go through a six-week public consultation, which would hopefully begin on November the 4th, before approval. Councillor Lucy Hodgson, chairman of the SWDP Joint Advisory Panel, said, This is an important step in the process to ensure our local plan continues to allow the three South Worcestershire councils to meet the government's requirement for new housing, as well as providing opportunities for companies to invest, grow and create jobs. A huge amount of work has gone into selecting the proposed sites, and I'd urge residents to read the document in full, understand the reasoning behind these recommendations, and, should they be approved, get involved in the consultation. On top of this, the document contains plans for providing another 273 hectares of employment land for jobs and businesses. More than half of the employment land would be built in Witchhaven, with 55 hectares planned throughout Morven Hills. Another 70 hectares of the employment land would be split between the three major proposed developments at Worcestershire Parkway, Throckmorton and Rushwick. Headline for Thursday, October the 17th. CCTV shows sisters beating hunchback. CCTV footage shows a Worcester thug mimicking a homeless hunchback woman before launching a savage attack along with her sister, leaving the victim with a broken nose and eye socket. Video of the brutal attack in Worcester city centre by the sisters has been released to the Worcester News following a request to the Crown Prosecution Service and West Mercia Police. As previously reported... Katie Thomason and younger sister Molly Thomason were jailed for inflicting grievous bodily harm at Worcester Crown Court last week. The the footage footage shows Katie Thomason throwing what appears to be a bottle at the victim, Jodie Gillett, before mimicking a hunchback as she pretends to hobble along the middle of the road towards the CCTV camera in St Nicholas Street, the very camera which provided such damning evidence against her. The mocking impression lasts just under a minute before she walks back towards Miss Gillett and begins the attack. The footage of the attack itself is difficult to make out because it is dark and takes place away from the camera. However, punches are clearly thrown during the onslaught, which lasts around 40 seconds. The officer in the case, Detective Constable Heather Leach, said, This was a very serious crime that was hugely traumatic for the victim, and we are pleased that justice has been done for her. 
The sisters were sent to prison for the attack. One of the sisters screamed, I've got kids, when the jail term was announced. And shrieks and wails erupted from the dock and public gallery. Katie Thomason, aged 24, of Selsey Close, Worcester, and Molly Thomason, aged 21, of Sheepscombe Drive, Worcester, claimed the victim made an insulting comment about the cot death of Katie's child four years before, which provoked the attack. The victim was in hospital for two days after she was punched and kicked in the face. She suffers from a curvature of the spine and is homeless, the court heard. Raj Punia, prosecuting, said, You see the defendant, Katie Thompson, mimicking a hunchback. It's plain to see. Miss Punia said the victim accepted she swore at Katie and called her a slag, but disputed making any reference to a dead baby in response to her mockery. She says Katie walked back towards her, grabbed her hair on the left side of her head, before punching her three or four times on the left side of her face around the left eye, causing her to fall to the floor. She describes, while on the floor, that Katie kicks her several times around the heads and shoulders, said Miss Punia. Molly Thomason then joined the attack, also kicking the victim to the head, as Miss Gillett shouted, Leave me alone, pack it in, please stop. The attack at 4.45am on Saturday, March the 16th this year was deemed to be aggravated because it was a sustained and repeated assault. Judge Robert Jukes jailed Katie Thomason for 30 months and Molly Thompson for two years. So that concludes the headline news stories um, and we'll carry on with general news if you'd like to start with the first one, Catherine. Yes, fine, Pippa, thanks. Um, So the first story is Brothers Pointless Quiz Show Win. Two brothers have won £2,000 on BBC's primetime quiz show, Pointless. Pete Graham, who's 56, from Droitwich, and Nigel Graham, 57, from Malvern, gave the pointless answer of Manny Pacquayo, a Filipino boxer. <clears throat> Pete said, We were spawned to secrecy when we recorded the show back in June, and the producers didn't want our win leaking out. I've spent my half of the winnings on a Tommy Hilfiger watch. I was surprised by how small the studio was, and the audience are really close, and after a while you forget about the cameras being there. I'm going to enter us for eggheads next. I don't take part in pub quizzes, but at our age, we tend to know a lot about nothing, so it served us well. Nigel said, I've put my half towards a holiday for me and the wife to Cape Verde. We just got lucky, as during the rehearsal we only scored 100. He joked, It's total world domination for us now. Their appearance was broadcast on BBC One on Tuesday night. Pointless was first aired in 2009. And now there are concerns after latest burglaries. Concerns are being raised after burglaries and an increase of suspicious activity in Batten Hall and St Peter's. Batten Hall Ward City Councillor Louis Stevens said he had heard that there had been three burglaries in recent days, two in St Peter's, including one on Friday and another on Saturday night, and a further one in Timberdine on Saturday. After Seabright Avenue resident Becky Smith posted on social media about a group of four men snooping around gardens and cars, this led the councillor to contact the police. Councillor Stevens said, It seems to be a spike in crime at the moment, so I've contacted the police about it. As always, I know their message will be that it's really important if people see someone trying door handles or walking around the backs of houses to call the police on 101. 
Police can only act on information if they've got it. Mrs Smith said the four men were snooping around her house on Friday night. They climbed over the wall into our drive from our neighbour's property, Mrs Smith said. It happened at about 7.40pm on Friday. The security light went off, our camera picked them up and my husband scared them off. I reported it to the police. The police have been doing door-to-door knocks. Somebody saw my post on social media and the police came round and we gave them our CCTV to them. We gave them a description of the men. Residents in the road told us that the area was generally quiet, although one resident told us some someone stole money from their kitchen a few years ago, which led to them increasing their security. West Mercia police were un- unavailable for comment. In February 2017... Police investigated a number of burglaries in Batten Hall and Nunnery and in one of the burglaries a large amount of jewellery was stolen from a home in Bath Road. As it is thought, the offender broke in through the back garden. Farm to show film. Interesting story here. A dairy farm has been given permission to host an open-air cinema and live music as well as sell alcohol despite objections from concerned neighbours. Churchfields Farm wanted to update its licence so it could host a twice-yearly open-air cinema in its grounds. The well-known dairy farm in Salwarp near Droitwich was also given permission to play music and host live music outdoors and indoors, as well as sell alcohol and late-night refreshments as part of events by Witchhaven District Council's licensing subcommittee. The application attracted several objections from neighbours who said they were concerned by noise and the potential nuisance caused by selling alcohol. The farm said it was delighted to receive the backing of the council and would work with specialists to ensure noise was kept to a minimum. Will Curtin of Churchfields Farm said, We're a family-run farm and offer a warm welcome to all visitors coming to Churchfields. We're delighted that we can continue to provide the community with exciting events on the farm, which have proven popular locally. Naturally, we take concerns from neighbours extremely seriously and are working with specialists to ensure that noise is kept under control as much as possible at all future outdoor events. The farm can now screen films on Saturday and Sunday between midday and 11pm, play music and host live music between 8.30am and 11.30pm every day. The council said the farm could hold up to 15 events a year, totalling 21 days, and must give neighbours two weeks' notice. The farm must also give neighbours a point of contact if it did get too noisy. The farm can also serve late-night refreshments between 11pm and midnight between Monday and Saturday, and sell alcohol between 8.30am and 11.30pm between Monday and Saturday, and between 10am and 11.30pm on Sunday. Right, well, here's a a new story about a writer in residence. A theatre in Worcester has made the the county's Poet Laureate its writer in residence to expand its programme of events. Dr Charlie Barnes, Worcestershire Poet Laureate, has become writer in residence at the Swan Theatre with the aim of hosting one new event there each month. Dr Barnes, a published poet and novelist who lectures at the University of Worcester, said the aim is to offer more variety at the Swan in the Moors, Worcester. 
the writer-in-residence role will introduce several new elements to the Swan Theatre's annual programme, including events such as theatre discussions, workshops and open mic nights, said Dr Barnes. As writer-in-residence, I'm committed to hosting one event a month, starting with a launch event in January 2020 that will, shamefully, introduce some of my own writing experiences and successes, followed by an introduction to the writer-in-residence events that are planned from January through to June, with more to follow. We're planning private group discussions of plays and performances held at the Swan and associated venues, alongside prose-led open mic events, which we hope will fill a current gap in Worcester's literary open mic scene. I will personally lead practical writing workshops too, covering everything from getting your novel together, getting it edited, and maybe one day into print. Dr Barnes, the Poet Laureate for 2019-2020, also hosts a monthly Dear Listener event at Boston Tea Party in Worcester, usually on the third Thursday evening of each month, where local and celebrated national poets share their work. Dr Barnes said, Dear Listener was launched in December 2017 in the hope of giving poets a space to share their grievances, experiences and anything in between without having to censor themselves or their words. Since starting the event, award-winning poets from up and down the country, such as Casey Bailey and Leanne Moden, have visited Dear Listener as headliners, as well as local talents such as Holly Dufferne and Polly Stretton. It's grown from a small audience of supportive friends to a packed-out room of strangers looking for a safe place, which is something I hope Dear Listener can always provide. If you're interested in this, you can have a look at at Dear Open Mike on Twitter or at the Facebook and Instagram pages for more. And here's something I think I'll go and visit. A pub opens again after three years. A pub near Morven has opened its doors after three years, creating 50 jobs. The Plough and Harrow at Galford opened for the first time in September after being closed since June 2016. The pub was redeveloped by the pub chain Brunning and Price, who carried out substantial building work to get it back to its best. New manager Josh Nicholson said they, the regulars, were blown away by the renovation and immediately fell in love with the decor and feel of the pub. Many remember the old bar and existing fireplace and could use it as a reference point to see the extension of what we've done around it, creating a new garden room and the terraces that sit to either side of the building. The new library room is proving to be a firm favourite because of its cosy feel and many newcomers to the area are staggered by the fantastic views. The local historical society has been very generous in sharing their historic photography with us so that we've been able to show the pub through the ages, along with many notable local buildings on artwork on our walls. The pub had looked set to become a housing development until Brunning and Price were made aware of it by a resident after they offered a £5,000 Um, finder's fee for viable opportunities. The pub officially welcomed its first customers on September the 18th and the reopening has created 50 jobs in the area. The old house and the historic pub have been joined and now have an addition of a garden room that looks out onto stone patio lawns and a wild flower meadow beyond. 
Upstairs, there is a private dining room that seats 20 for small gatherings and large family meals. It also has private balcony with views across the Malvern Hills. In April this year, the pub was saved from being turned into housing by local councillor Tom Wells. When the application development reached the planning committee, the council officers were recommending approval and Councillor Wells spotted that the applicants had not entered into mandatory consultation with the local community. As a result, he was able to persuade the committee to defer their decision in order for this box to be ticked, buying time for a buyer to be found. Back in business after shop flood. One of Worcester's oldest family businesses is back up and running, having been closed for nearly four months due to flooding. However, it wasn't the River Severn that flowed through Robin Elt's shoes in the shambles on June the 13th, a Thursday incidentally, but torrential rainwater from a blocked drain on the roof caused by seagull droppings. The building has since undergone a £20,000 refurb and is ready to reopen. Jenny Elt, who now runs the business on her own following the death of her father Robin in May, said... It took at least a month for the place to dry out before we could do anything. Now the shop has had a complete refurb and I should think the total cost will be around £20,000. Jenny is the fifth generation of Elts to run a retail footwear business, with Robin Elt Shoes having eight branches across Worcestershire, Herefordshire and Shropshire and down to Torquay and Totnes in Devon. Although it has a modern facade, the building dates back to the 1600s and after water breached a skylight on a flat roof at the rear, it cascaded down through the first floor stockroom and then into the ground floor showroom and retail area. Well, I shall look forward to going back and seeing what they've done to it. Right. Here's the next story. More concerns on the Raven's future. Concerns are again being raised about the future of a popular listed building after a section of its roof appeared to be missing. But it now seems this is in fact work being carried out on the Raven Hotel in Droitwich by new owners. In the closed pictorial Droitwich Spa Facebook group, a picture was posted of part of the roof missing. A concerned resident speculated, could this be an attempt to make the interior damaged beyond repair so there is no choice but to demolish the building, which I would guess would be cheaper than a restoration? At the annual meeting of the town, held last March, residents voiced the same worries, that the building will fall into disrepair before being demolished, like the Worcestershire Hotel, which was knocked down to make way for apartments after lying empty for decades. Previous owners of the Raven Hotel have reassured townsfolk that the 17th century building would be restored back to its former glory. Greyfort Properties was granted planning permission by Witchhaven District Council in 2015 for modern extensions at the rear of the building to be transformed into residential and commercial space. And on Witchhaven District Council's planning portal, the last application listed is from Compero Limited that was granted permission last year for a mixed-use redevelopment of the hotel and its grounds, including 51 dwellings. This paper understands the building is now owned by a company called Malvern Homes, but attempts to contact the firm have been unsuccessful. Alex Sinton, Droitwich East Councillor on Witchhaven District Council, said, 
Quite rightly, residents are concerned. The Raven is an iconic building and we're monitoring the situation closely. We understand the hotel has new owners and actually they're working on the roof. A change.org Save the Raven petition set up earlier this week has already been signed by nearly 800 people. The petition says, We request a guarantee with a full statement, a commitment to restoring and developing the building with details on how this will be achieved, to include a full timeline. Provide monthly updates on the progress of restoring and developing the building. If Malvern Homes Limited fails to maintain the update of the building, the council should proceed with a repairs notice and, if necessary, compulsory purchase order. And this is um, about a pig, a pet pig that grew to 28 stones. That's um, salutary. Um, A man who got a miniature pig has ended up sharing his home with a 28-stone pet. Nigel Graham's pet pig, Grace, was supposed to be an alternative to a cat or a dog, but it just kept growing. Mr Graham, age 57, said, I got Grace as my wife, Sam, is allergic to cats and dogs. She was meant to remain small, but she's just kept growing and growing. I built her an outdoor hutch, Graceland, but she's only spent two nights there ever as she likes to be warm and dry. She lives as a house pig, spending her time either on the sofa or sleeping on her bed in the kitchen, keeping warm in front of the radiator. She did sleep upstairs when she was younger on a double orthopaedic mattress, but she's too large for the stairs. It's a nightmare getting her outside. I have to tempt her with treats. She's just like a dog loving lots of cuddles and belly rubs, and she whines at the back door when she wants to go out and use the toilet. It's great when people come into our house, not knowing about Grace. Their reactions are priceless. Grace, who is now fully grown, eats three meals a day, and her favourite food is rice pudding and prawn crackers. Mr Graham from Malvern added, Bacon was my favourite meat. But since Grace has joined the family, we don't eat it anymore, as it just wouldn't feel right. Pigs make good pets, as long as they can have a decent-sized garden to run around in. They're very clever and affectionate animals. It's a misconception that they like mud. And I promise you, she hasn't made that story up. It's, It's there in black and white. Extraordinary. Crews save man after heart attack. Quick action by ambulance crews saved a man's life when he suffered a heart attack in Ombersley. Jenny and Mark Roberts were staying with friends at a caravan site in the village near Worcester when he started to feel unwell and then turned grey and passed out. Mr Roberts' heart had stopped and Mrs Roberts called 999. Their friends performed vital cardiopulmonary resuscitation, buying him time until two ambulance crews arrived. Paramedics John Fryer, Lorraine McHugh, Michelle Adams and Anna Berecher were quickly on the scene, but that was just the start of the fight to save Mr Roberts. Mrs Roberts said, They were amazing. The caravan isn't huge, which made everything much more difficult, but throughout the crews never gave up and made sure everyone was aware of what was going on. Despite all of the efforts, Mr Roberts was not expected to survive. 
He was placed in a coma and was given only a 2% chance of survival. However, on the third day, he came out of the coma, defying all the odds. His collapse happened last November, but since then, Mr and Mrs Roberts have met the crew who attended the scene. Mrs Roberts also praised call handler Milind Kumar Kade, who she said was brilliant, keeping her calm and telling her what to do. Mr and Mrs Roberts now say they want everyone to take note of the incredible work of ambulance staff and also do their bit to help and learn basic life support. According to West Midlands Ambulance Service, every second counts for life support, as every minute without CPR decreases a patient's chances of survival by 10%. And the article is accompanied by a lovely photograph of all the ambulance staff with Jenny and Mark Roberts, and it's a smashing photo. Great story, that. Bishop hands out certificates for finishing faith course. People from Evesham, Droitwich, Malvern, Worcester and elsewhere have received special certificates from the Bishop of Worcester, the Right Reverend Dr John Inge, marking the completion of a course designed to help them relate their Christian faith to their own life and locality. The groups took the Bishop's Certificate course over 12 months with the support of local tutors. It covered subjects such as Christian faith and the creeds, the Old and New Testaments, Pentecost and the Holy Spirit, discipleship and living as Christians with people of other faiths. Richard Wetherill from Great Malvern Priory said, It was very good. We had a lovely, cohesive group with a good variety of tutors. I studied the Bible for my degree around 40 years ago, so it was great to get a different perspective. I've definitely got a better understanding of the key elements of the faith now. And this is about um, 15.5% of newborns have non-UK mums. Around one in six babies delivered last year in Worcestershire had mothers born outside the UK, figures reveal. Data from the Office of National Statistics shows that non-UK-born women living in the area gave birth to 885 children in 2018, 15.5% of all deliveries. This is well below the average across England and Wales of 28.2%. It was also roughly in line with 2017, but an increase on 11.5% a decade previously. But across England and Wales, the rate of births to foreign-born mothers dropped from 28.4% to 28.2% last year, the first fall since 1990. Dr Marina fernandez Reno, a researcher at Oxford University's Migration Observatory, said the distribution of UK's migrant population is very uneven. In Brent in London, just over three-quarters of newborns had mothers born overseas, whilst in Copeland in northwest, the figure stood at just 3%. Ms Fernandez Reno said foreign-born women in the UK are more likely to be of childbearing age than women born in the UK. The most common region of origin for non-UK-born mothers giving birth in Worcestershire was the EU, 562 births were to mothers born there. This was followed by 181 from the Middle East and Asia, 76 from Africa, 29 from European nations outside the EU and 37 from elsewhere. Overall, 5,700 Worcestershire women gave birth last year, 
a decrease from 2017. Catherine Littleboy from the ONS said, Today's figures show the first decrease in the proportion of live births in England and Wales to non-UK-born mothers since 1990, and the first decrease for non-UK-born fathers since our time series for them began in 2008. Poland and Pakistan remain the most common countries of birth for non-UK-born mothers and fathers respectively. Romania is now the second most common country of birth for non-UK-born fathers and the third for non-UK-born mothers. A community group has been set up to improve the green areas of an area of Worcester. Paul Snooks, 64, from Warnden Villages, co-founded the VEG, that's Villages Environmental Group, with Alison Morgan to do something positive for his community. He said, I set up the group as I wanted to try and help people understand more about nature as well as making the natural environment better. The Industrial Revolution has a part to play in divorcing people from their experience of nature as people left behind villages to work in towns and cities up and down the country, spending more time working than working on the land. We've lost much of our wildflower meadows since the Second World War as well. We want to bring Aikenbury Orchard back to a wildflower meadow as our next focus. Nick McGowan from Worcester City Council has been really supportive of our group. Mr McGowan, Trees and Play Supervisor at the City Council, said, Over the last six months, the Worcester City Council conservation team has reinstated several areas of significant natural beauty around Warnden villages with the invaluable help of the VEG. This partnership has vastly improved the general aesthetics of these areas, but also, more importantly, has increased their biodiversity too. We look forward to continuing this fantastic working relationship with the VEG to help maintain our conservation sites. Councillor Andy Stafford, Vice-Chair of Worcester City Council's Environment Committee, explained the importance of wildflowers in the area. Wildflowers help to make Worcester look beautiful, he said, However, they are also important because they support bees and other insects which pollinate plants. Many of our favourite fruits, vegetables and nuts rely on insect pollination. Anyone interested in getting involved in the VEG can contact Paul Snooks by emailing paulsnooks at gmail.com and Paul Snooks is all lowercase and the Snooks is S-N-O-O-K-E-S. Right, <clears throat> here's a, a brief update on the little boy Oscar Saxelby Lee. Ox- Oscar Saxelby Lee has received treatment to try to help him win his cancer battle, his parents have revealed. In a post on Facebook, the Worcester five-year-old's parents said he was having a donor lymphocyte infusion, which could potentially remove his remaining cancer cells. During the treatment, Oscar has frozen T-cells from his donor infused from his donor infused into his blood, with the hope they will tackle the remaining cells that contain the, the disease. However, there's a very high risk of graft-versus-host disease, known as GVHD, which can be life-threatening, his parents said. 
the immune condition can occur in a patient after transplantation when immune cells in donor tissue attack the host's own tissues. Oscar's parents said that they felt they could not pass up the chance for the treatment, although it's risky. They also said that the CART treatment in Singapore, for which the community has raised £500,000 in three weeks, would remain as a backup option. And now something a bit more violent. I'll smash up your car, says X. A jilted boyfriend flouted a restraining order by calling his girlfriend in front of a police sergeant after threatening to smash up her car. Despite Billy Watt's behaviour, his partner, Mary Ann Pointer, said she loves him and wants the retaining restraining order lifted. The 23-year-old dad of Cleve Drive, Worcester, admitted three breaches of a Crown Court restraining order at Worcestershire Magistrates Court yesterday. The breaches of the three-year order happened between August the 1st and 24th and on August the 23rd and August the 24th this year. The new harassment offences came almost immediately after the order was made at the Crown Court on August the 1st. The order was imposed for criminal damage and harassment after Watts used a rake to smash the windows of her Vauxhall Corsa and harassed her with phone calls, at one point hiding behind a hedge and jumping out to confront her outside a Worcester school. Angry, she had dumped him. This was in itself a breach of a suspended sentence order, six months suspended for two years, a battery and possession of an offensive weapon, a sentence not activated as the Crown Court. The couple had been in an 18-month relationship and have a young daughter, but broke up in May of this year. Miss Poyner told the police, he's constantly contacting me, telling me how much he loves me and needs me in his life. On August the 23rd, she was asleep in a bedroom but was woken by a loud knocking on the door as he said, babe, let me in, before he shouted that he was going to put the door through, said Sarah Heard, prosecuting. She tells him to leave her alone. He persists. He refu- she refuses him entry, said Miss Heard. Watts swore at her and said, I'll give you good reason to call the police. I'll smash your car up. Watts was arrested. The following day, he was in the custody suite and asked to speak to his auntie, but instead rings this lady, Miss Poynham. Miss Heard said he rings this lady in front of the custody sergeant, and immediately it's answered by this lady who puts the phone down. Miss Heard said Miss Poynham wanted the restraining order lifted and doesn't want too much punishment for him. She has been advised that she will have to contact the Crown Court to apply for the restraining order to be lifted. Miss Heard added he's got a pretty poor domestic violence history. Jason Patel for Watts said the reality is that he accepts what he's done and I ask you to afford him maximum credit for that. Mr Patel told the magistrates his client had a turbulent time of it and there had been times in the relationship when his mental health had been poor. He has since been prescribed medication for anxiety and depression. He said of Miss Poyner, if she wants the order removed, she can have it removed. He read out emails sent from her to Watts while he was in prison, including, miss you, no regrets, and you're my babe, my world. Magistrates sentenced him to 100 hours of unpaid work and made a 12-month community order. The chairman of the bench told Watts, we have taken you at your word, now it's up to you to live up to that. 
he was ordered to pay the court costs of £135 and a victim's surcharge of £90. This will be consolidated with existing fines of £2,181 and deducted from his benefits. Singer aims for stardom. A singer who ditched X Factor's sob story culture is shooting for stardom through Open Mic UK. Barbourne-based Hannah McSherry made it through initial auditions last month and then Sunday's regional final in Sutton Coldfield to bag a place in the national semi-final on November the 16th. Qualifiers will then head to the O2 in London where the overall winner gets a music video for a single and a full album professionally produced as well as an extensive publicity package. It sees the 22-year-old finally beginning to realise a dream that included an attempt at Britain's Got Talent during her formative years. Open mic is one of the biggest opportunities in the UK. I've just graduated and wanted to do a competition. Now I have a bit more time, said Miss McSherry. I did Britain's Got Talent when I was a teenager, but I was only young, so it wasn't amazing. I would love to pursue singing professionally and hopefully this competition will not only get me experience but also improve my confidence. Open Mic UK is a competition for singers and solo artists that attracts more than 10,000 acts per year from every genre. You can check out Hannah's singing online at https soundcloudcom hannah mac music Right. <clears throat> a blind nine-year-old with dis- disabilities has surprised people with her beautiful singing voice. Imogen Wilson, who is supported at Acorns Children's Hospice in Worcester, has a rare condition, which means she needs a lot of care, but she has developed a remarkable singing voice. Imogen's mum, Wendy Will- Wilson, said, The main thing I can remember is when she was in hospital, she had a bone marrow transplant when she was 16 months, and another when she was three. When she was three, we found she had quite an aptitude for tunes. One of the nurses on the night shift at Bristol Children's Hospital was walking down the corridor and heard Imogen singing. Mrs Wilson said, She will sing wherever she is, but it's always to her choice. We could have something playing, but she will sing what she wants. Imogen's parents have given her a tablet with music streaming app Spotify so she can listen to music. She's also had music therapy with Acorns Hospice and she likes to sing with her older sister, Caitlin. Mrs Wilson said, She has such a memory for tunes. She cannot talk because she can remember words. Imogen, who lives near Sirencester, has a genetic condition called osteopetrosis, which has caused a range of learning disabilities, and she's currently not walking. She cannot converse, but she can give simple instructions and can use words like no when she doesn't want to do something. Imogen has been going to Acorns for six years. Mrs Wilson, who had to give up working to be a full-time carer for Imogen, said... They give us a chance to spend some time with our other daughter, which is nice. It does give us a break when she goes to stay for two or three nights. She has a whale of a time. She has hydrotherapy, which she loves. She gets stimulated. They have an amazing garden. She loves being outside. They have just been invaluable. Now we have a landlord fined almost £3,000. A landlord has finally been fined nearly £3,000 
for failing to install proper safety measures, having been chased by the council for almost a year. Mohammad Rafiq was fined £2,783 by magistrates for operating an unlicensed house of multiple occupation, or an HMO, as it's known, in Canterbury Road in Worcester, and for flouting his responsibility to install proper fire safety equipment. Worcester City Council was first told that Rafiq had been operating without a licence in November 2018, which was the start of a lengthy pursuit which ended up in Worcester Magistrates' Court. The City Council was forced to take Rafiq to court, having made several unsuccessful attempts to contact him. Rafiq also failed to attend court last Friday, October the 4th, and was charged in his absence. Rafiq was charged with operating the HMO without a licence and for failing to take safety measures, including failure to supply firefighting equipment and having insufficient fire alarms, failing to install emergency lighting or self-closing fire doors and failing to display his name, address and contact details inside the HMO. Councillor James Stanley, chairman of the City Council's Communities Committee, said the council would always act when landlords in the city do not act responsibly. He said the majority of landlords in Worcester abide by the law, but as this case demonstrates, the City Council won't hesitate to act in cases where landlords exploit tenants, provide dangerous, substandard accommodation or flout their legal obligations. I would urge any Worcester residents who are facing difficulties with their tenancy or have concerns about an HMO to contact the City Council's housing team for advice and support. Tenants who had lived in the unlicensed HMO are also able to reclaim a year's rent. The City Council said further information and advice is available at worcester.gov.uk. The the council's housing team can be contacted by calling 01905 722 588 or by emailing privatehousing at worcester.gov.uk. Worcester City Council's planning committee will be meeting in the Guildhall at 1.30pm on Thursday, October 24th. The public are welcome to attend. Thank you, Jane. And... Uh, We will move seamlessly now on to some sports stories, which I will start with. But in fact, this is also, I think, a kind of crossover story in that it could be deemed part news, part sport. And it's about football and the search uh, that continues for a new um, stadium and place for Worcester City Football Club. A coach from Worcester City's finest hour has called on councillors to stop bringing politics into the club's push for a homecoming or to resign. Alan Wood insists scaremongering over plans at Purdiswell is total rubbish. Wood was flanked by two other city greats, Worcester born and bred Graham Selby and former manager George Rooney, in passionately making the case for the homeless club's exile to be ended after more than six years of ground sharing. The debate debate remains as lively as ever on the back of City Councillor Louis Stephen, leader of the Green Party in Worcester, listing his reasons for objecting to Purdiswell. The scaremongering about things like traffic is quite apparent, said Wood, who works as scout for a Premier League club. Let's face the facts. 
Perdiswell was the mecca of Worcester football years ago. Just after the war, people played there on Saturdays and Sundays. When you weigh it up, Worcester would play once a fortnight, dependent on fixtures, with people around from approximately 2 o'clock until 5.30. The scaremongering is total rubbish. When they were at St George's Lane, the streets had emptied within half an hour of the game finishing. People respected residents and didn't park across gateways. I just cannot see the problem with Perdiswell. It is the ideal place and politics should never come into sport. If it does, it is disgraceful. It was always a standout place in non-league football and I'd love to see it return to its former glory within the city boundary. Being where it is breaks my heart. I don't think people fully realise it will not be a football stadium like the ones you see on Match of the Day. It's going to be something small that will host senior matches maybe 30 days out of 365. While it has to meet with certain requirements, it's going to be quite small. We're talking about an average of six to 800 people per game. Selby added, What I don't understand is why the club wasn't allowed to purchase somewhere in or around the city when it had the money from St George's Lane. The club needs to get back to Worcester because it has been such a big part of people's lives. The story goes on and on. Mm. Well, here's a story about water polo. Nine Worcester Crocodiles water polo club members represented their nations at the North Sea Cup in Swansea. The tournament for under-19s pitted together England, Ireland, Scotland and Wales. Worcester's Dan Day and George Glover played for England men with Charlotte Martin turning out for the women. Ollie Chilcott, Luke Turner and Ben Turner competed for Wales men and Jojo Ricards, Nia Saunders and Seren Vaughan for the women. Crocodile's head coach, Dave Cash, said, Being close to the Welsh borders, it's normal for the club to have players for Wales, but this is the first time Worcester Crocodile's has had players selected for England. It is testament to the hard work of all the players, coaches and parents and the the work that they've put in over the years to have such a large number of internationals, I'm immensely proud. Ireland won the men's tournament with Scotland second, Wales third and England fourth. Martin tasted success with England women, who led the way ahead of Ireland in second, Wales in third and Scotland in fourth. Both English teams took younger players aged 15 and 16. And now there's hope for me yet. Barbon Bowles win for Iris, aged 90. Iris Yeomans had a double reason to celebrate this season while playing at Barbon Bowling Club. Longest-serving member, Yeomans, enjoyed her 90th birthday and then followed this up with a victory in the keenly contested club mixed triples competition. The bowler, affectionately known at the Worcester Club as Auntie Iris, received the trophy at a presentation evening and dinner after the final game of the season. Isn't that wonderful? Well, a couple of, uh, not stories, but items about Worcestershire cricket, even though it is the off-season. The first one concerns Wayne Parnell. Worcestershire all-rounder Wayne Parnell will not require surgery after suffering a shoulder injury in the final match of the season. Parnell sustained the setback when bowling during Sussex's first innings in the rain-affected Specsaver County Championship Division 2 clash and left the field immediately amidst concerns over the seriousness of the injury. But he's been diagnosed with a torn shoulder muscle after undergoing a scan and seeing a specialist. 
He's now returned to South Africa for the winter where he'll undergo rehab for the next eight to ten weeks. And the county as a whole will report back for pre-season training next month with an earlier than previous emphasis on honing their batting and bowling skills during the winter months. The players have in past years predominantly put a large accent on strengthening and conditioning work in the pre-Christmas period before starting regular net practice sessions at Malvern College in January. But while the fitness routines will continue to be an important part of preparations, there will also be plenty of batting and bowling in the college indoor nets, with an accent on red ball cricket, which is set to dominate the early season fixture list in 2020. First team coach Alex Goodman said... Next year, the first two months is likely to be all red ball cricket, so we would be naive not to prepare for that. It makes sense to put our emphasis on the red ball cricket, although we will obviously keep trying to, we will obviously keep trying to up the skills with white ball cricket, but our focus will be on red ball cricket. Traditionally, we started hitting balls and bowling in mid-January. This year, we'll be heading to Malvern College in November and starting to face a lot of deliveries and starting to learn about our methods against certain types of bowling. Good luck to them, then. Right. And Rugby Union, Worcester Warriors. Director of Rugby, Alan Solomons, insists Worcester Warriors will be focusing solely on the Gallagher Premiership this season in a bid to secure a top six spot. Warriors reached the knockout stages of the European Challenge Cup and Premiership Cup in the 2018-2019 campaign. There's also an outside chance Worcester could make the semi-finals of the Premiership Cup again as they head to Wasps uh, tomorrow, which actually was last Saturday, needing a bonus point win to stand any realistic hope of progressing. However, Solomons believes Warriors do not have enough experience in their squad to challenge on all fronts this term. We're not ready to compete in all competitions, said Solomons at the Supporters' Forum at Six Ways this week. We can be a top six side, but we need to focus solely on the Premiership. Everything is geared towards those 22 Premiership games. If we have good fortune with injury and play with a level of commitment, I believe we have the ability to be a top six side. And now something we don't get much of, motorsport. Um, Drightwich team driver Dan Camish was just over a lap away from becoming the quick-fit British Touring Car Championship overall victor for the first time. But the Halfords, UASA Racing Aces' first mechanical setback of the season struck in the final race at Brands Hatch when his brakes failed and sent him spiralling into the barriers. Kamish had won the opener after surging from 12th in the Honda Civic Type R with teammate McNeil second in changeable conditions. And he then led the standings with a third place finish in the second contest in Kent, which was won by Adrian Flux Subaru's racing Ash Sutton. But the final race woe meant team BMW's Corin. T- Colin Turkington was crowned the record-equalling four-time BTT-CC champion by just two points after coming home sixth. Kamish only needed to finish eighth for a maiden title and had previously been the only driver to compete every single racing lap this year. However, he had to make do with third-place level on points, with BMW Pertec Racing's Andrew Jordan in second, although his Droitwich outfit claimed the team title. 
Well, that concludes the sport and we will move seamlessly on to the birthdays. Actually, there is only one this week. Uh, We'd all like to wish Anne McKeever a very happy birthday for October the 24th. That's next Thursday, I think. Yes, it is. It's next Thursday. So happy birthday, Anne. Hope you have a lovely day. And we have the thought for the day. That's going to be read for us by Jane. It's from Psalm 96, verses 7 to 9. Ascribe to the Lord all you families of nations. Ascribe to the Lord glory and strength. Ascribe to the Lord the glory due to his name. Bring an offering and come into his courts. Worship the Lord in the splendour of his holiness. Tremble before him all the earth. Thank you. So that remains for me to give you the sunset sunrise times. Sunrise is 7.37am and the sunset ten past six in the evening. And a reminder, you'll, you will get another reminder next Thursday, but just to uh, give you an advance warning, the clocks go back on, backwards, that's right, yeah, fall back, on Saturday the 26th of October. So you've got... 10 days or so till then. Well, that's from now, yes. So 26th of October, the clocks go back. And that concludes this week's recording. I'd like to say uh, thank you for our production team, which is John Plush behind the wall on the engineer's seat. And uh, newsflash, Duncan Wynne has come in to do the copying and admin for us. So many thanks, Duncan. So it's goodbye from all the readers, from Catherine... Goodbye. And from Jane. Goodbye. And from myself, Pippa. Have a good week. Thelma Lillian Robinson, nay Cumley, passed away peacefully on Friday, September the 27th, aged 85. Funeral service at St Peter's Church, Poick, on Friday, October the 18th at 12 noon. Flowers or donations, if desired, for the World Wildlife Fund may be sent to E.J. Gummery and Son, 6870 Ombersley Road, Worcester, WR3 7EU. Doreen Margaret Taylor of Worcester passed away peacefully at Mowbray Nursing Home, Malvern, on October the 2nd, age 93. Funeral service took place at Worcester Crematorium on Thursday, October the 17th. Family flowers only by request. Donations, if desired, may be sent to the Midlands Air Ambulance, care of AV Band Funeral Directors, 41 St Nicholas Street, Worcester, WR1, 1UW. Jean Weston passed away peacefully, unexpectedly, on September the 30th, aged 89. Funeral service at Worcester Crematorium, Friday, October the 18th at 2.30pm, family flowers only. Donations to Oscar and the Grace Kelly Childhood Cancer Trust may be left at the crematorium or sent to Purdiswell Young People's Leisure Club. John Williams passed away peacefully on October the 3rd. Funeral service to take place at St Mary's Church, Kemsey, on Monday, October the 21st at 11am, followed by a private family cremation. Family flowers only, with donations to Worcester City Inpatient Unit and Worcestershire Acute Hospitals Charity, 
sent care of Bedwardine Funeral Services, 30 Bromyard Road, Worcester, telephone number 01905 Gerald James Case passed away peacefully at Rashwood Nursing Home, Droitwich, on October the 7th, 2019, aged 91. The funeral service will take place at Worcester Crematorium on Thursday, October the 24th, at 2.30pm. Family flowers only, please. Donations, if desired, for Cancer Research UK and Arthritis UK may be left in the collection box available at the service or sent by cheque directly to the charity. Inquiries to Co-op Funeral Care 01905 22137. Derek John Evans passed away peacefully on the 28th of September 2019, aged 90. The funeral service will be at Worcester Crematorium on Tuesday the 22nd of October at 2.30pm. Family flowers only please, but donations if desired for Dementia UK may be left on the collection plate at the crematorium or sent to E.J. Gummery and Son, 6870 Ombersley Road, Worcester, WR37EU. Peter Thomas Roach passed away suddenly on September the 29th, aged 60. A service to celebrate Peter's life will take place on Tuesday, October the 22nd at Worcester Crematorium at 12.15pm. Family flowers only, please, but donations may be left in the donations box for St Richard's Hospice or sent to AV Band Funeral Directors, 41 St Nicholas Street, WR11UW. Eileen Gatfield passed away peacefully on October the 3rd, aged 88. The funeral service will be at Worcester Crematorium on Wednesday, October the 23rd, at 10.45am. Family flowers only, please, but donations, if desired, for the MND Association may be left on the collection plate at the crematorium or sent to E.J. Gummery & Son, 6870 Ombersley Road, Worcester, WR37EU. Thomas William Probert, known as Tom, passed away peacefully at home on September the 30th, aged 86. The funeral service will take place at Worcester Crematorium on Tuesday, October the 22nd at 1pm. Family flowers only, please. Donations, if desired, to St Richard's Hospice may be left at the crematorium or sent to Bedwardine Funeral Services 01905 748 811. Stanley Smith passed away at Worcestershire Royal Hospital on October the 9th, aged 91. The funeral service will take place at Worcester Crematorium on Wednesday, October the 23rd at 3.15pm. Family flowers only, please. Donations, if desired, for St Richard's Hospice may be left in the collection box available at the service or sent by cheque directly to the charity. Inquiries to Co-op Funeral Care 01905-22137. David Stanley passed away peacefully on October the 8th, age 78. 
The funeral service will take place at Worcester Crematorium on Wednesday, October the 23rd at 12.15pm. Family flowers only, with donations to RSPB, St Care of Bedwardine Funeral Services. Telephone number 01905 748811. James Anthony Sadler, Tony, died on Sunday, October the 6th, 2019, aged 80 years. Funeral service at Worcester Crematorium on Monday, 21st of October at 1pm. Family files only, please. Donations to the Louis Body Society UK can be sent to Jackson Family Funeral Directors, 54 to 56 Barbourne Road, Worcester, WR11JA. Godfrey Sanders of Ombersley passed away suddenly but peacefully on September the 24th, 2019, aged 85 years. Funeral service at St Mary's Church, Doverdale, on Monday, October the 21st at 12 noon. No flowers by request, please. But donations, if desired, for St Mary's Church, Doverdale, may be left on the collection plate at the church or sent to E.J. Gummery & Son, 68 to 70, Ombersley Road, Worcester, WR3, 7EU. Patricia Mary Davies, née Connop, sadly passed away on the 5th of October, 2019, aged 81 years. Funeral service to take place at Worcester Crematorium on Thursday, 24th of October at 10.45am. Family flowers only, but donations if desired can be sent to the Worcester City Inpatient Unit, 1 Timberdine Close, Worcester, WR5-2DD. Minnie Dugmore of Stalton, peacefully at home after a short illness on Monday, October the 7th, aged 85 years. Funeral service at the Vale Crematorium, Fladbury, on Friday, November the 1st, at 11am. Flowers and donations to Acorns Children's Hospice may be sent to E. Hill and Son, Funeral Directors, Pershaw, WR101HZ. Alan Thomas Hall passed away peacefully on October the 9th, 2019, aged 80 years. Funeral service to take place at Hallow Church on Thursday, October the 24th at 2pm, followed by an interment in the churchyard. Family flowers only, please, with donations to St Richard's Hospice, sent care of Bedwardine Funeral Services, 30 Bromyard Road, Worcester, WR2 5BT. Telephone number 01905 748811. At family's request, bright colours to be worn, please. Jesse Smith passed away peacefully at home on September the 11th, 2019, aged 75 years. Funeral service will take place at Worcester Crematorium on Monday, October the 21st, 2019, at 3.15pm. No flowers, please, by request. Donations, if desired, for St Richard's Hospice may be left in the collection box available at the service or sent by cheque directly to the charity. Inquiries to the Funeral Cooperative Funeral Care 01905 221 